coming up on today's show. The conference championship games are set, and Ryan Tannehill has made us all look like huge idiots. Again. The Browns have a new head coach. Hawk and I break down the hire and tell all the Twitter haters why they are all tripping. What Russell Wilson needs to teach Kirk Cousins that he learned from Tom Brady and why Booker McFarlane needs his own video game. All of this and much, much more in another tear-jerking surprise Hall of Fame induction episode of The Tomahawk Show. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, ladies and gentlemen. I am your humblest of all co-hosts that you've ever heard through your audio airwaves, Andrew Hawk Hawkins, at Hawk on Twitter. Go follow your boy. And I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the first offensive lineman in the history of the NFL. And some have rumored that he is actually the one who picked the Browns head coaching hire. Now, I know that's why you're here. We're going to get into that later. But before we even talk anything Browns coaching related, or playoff football. Joe, how you doing this Sunday, brother? Doing good, man. Great Sunday. Great day to be alive. Can't wait as we're moving through the NFL playoffs mm. to get a little bit closer to that Lombardi trophy every day. Getting a little bit closer, but uh, you got to love the divisional weekend, right? It's almost as good as the wild card weekend. We get two games Saturday and two games Sunday. Nothing but NFL football all day long. The games weren't as good this week, though. Last week, the games yeah. were a lot better. That's true. We had about we had what, three. Blowouts. You always get that. Yeah, you, you always. I think you always get that in the divisional round because the matchups aren't as even. Whereas in the wild card round, you have more even teams because you don't have the top two seeds playing. You've got teams that uh, didn't have that time off. Uh-huh. Whereas when you get to the divisional round, you had that big bye week, so teams had longer to prepare, longer to rest up, and then you've got a lot of times the number one seed versus a five or a six, and so. Uh, it's just a little bit potentially more of a mismatch on the average. A little more lopsided. And, um, yeah. you, I mean, you feel good. We'll get into this, but you got to feel good that Lamar Jackson didn't play well, finally. Your prediction after <laughs> came true you one week. You can't say he did not play well. All right, yes, turnovers, yes. But he had 500 yards of offense. He had True. over 150 yards rushing himself and over 350 yards passing. Granted, they were behind the entire game. Right. But – we said last week, if you go back and listen to the show, the only way Lamar Jackson loses at all in this entire playoffs is if there's a lot of turnovers early in the game uh-huh. and they get down big. And now, granted, some of them were his receiver's fault. Some of them were his fault. Yep. But either way, uh, the prediction that we had came to fruition where, hey, the only way they lose Lots of turnovers early on. What happens? Lots of turnovers early on. They lost. There it is, man. I mean, we're geniuses. I know we say that all the time, and we do. We've tooted our own horns over 100-plus episodes on this podcast. because we're very smart. Yeah, because we're geniuses. But seriously, I'm starting to think that we're a lot better at this than a lot of other people. And maybe I'm just on a little <laughs> bit of a tear and a little bit of a run, but I don't know, man. I, I just I feel like we're always right, Joe. All right, if you want to interact with the show, at Tomahawk Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Reddit, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on a voicemail line, 440-628-1376. This is going to be an exciting show. Again, we talked about the Browns hiring a new head coach. Are you ready? I'm ready. I hope so. You're ready because it's time for Tama Headlines. This is a special report from Tama Headlines. All right, first up, the 49ers. Went to work on the Minnesota Vikings on the Saturday slate of games, 27 to 10. 
Joe, I know you watched it. What stood out to you about this game? Well, I loved watching Kyle Shanahan's offense. I mean, they're just so methodical. The place uh, calling is so good. And to me, it's the play design that really sticks out when I watch Kyle's offense. And I know both of us, we played for Kyle Shanahan drink. Mm-hmm. And that's why we love him is because he just puts you in the position to succeed over and over again. And one of the things that I tweeted during this game, as I said, is if the Vikings keep playing the defensive end to the strong side, to the tight end, head up and two gapping him, the San Francisco 49ers are going to have 200 yards rushing. And mm-hmm. what happens? The San Francisco 49ers had 186 yards rushing. So I was a little short. You were wrong. Pretty close. But you were close. Because it's all about angles when you talk about Kyle's offense. And that's why he's so good. And that's why he's number one in the NFL in shifts and motions pre-snap, right? Yep. Because they watch the film. He sees how a defense lines up to your formations on offense. And then what he does is he gets them to line up in a certain formation that he wants. Then he shifts in motions. And what happens is when you shift in motion in the NFL, a lot of times the defense sits still because they don't want to be moving in the middle of a shift or formation because it puts them out of position. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, so like the um, 49ers will start with their tight end to the right, and they know that they can get the line shifted over to the tight end. Then they'll get the tight end to step off the line of scrimmage, go in motion, and then now they have the angles and the double teams and all the defensive linemen in the position that they want in order to get the best looks. And so he's putting those offensive linemen in a great position to get good double teams, to get good angles of their blocks because they know what blocks have the highest probability of success based on the angles that they have and so when you play a head up defensive end who's trying to read the tight end against a wide zones Kyle Shanahan type scheme it gives the advantage to the offense because the hardest block in that offensive scheme is the tight end because Mm -hmm. he's the smallest weakest pussiest guy on that entire offensive line And so the reason that that's always the weakness is you get a big defensive end that lines up outside of him or inside of him and just blows him up. He gets penetration and it screws up the track of the running back and it screws up the timing of the cut of the running back because the cut has to happen at the exact same time that all the blocks are being lined up on the offensive line. I know you're getting bored, so I'll keep this quick. I am falling asleep. So anyways, so when you put that defensive end head up, you Mm -hmm. give that tight end an opportunity to buy time until his tackle double teams and helps him and so it's exactly what the offense gets and Mike Zimmer being a really smart offensive or defensive coordinator makes me wonder what they were doing because most of the game they were lining up like this and the Niners were just getting downhill and just smashing them and it was almost giving the uh, the Minnesota defense no hope to be able to stop what the Niners were throwing at them and so when I saw the defenses that they were playing I was thinking back to when we played the Cincinnati Bengals when Kyle Shanahan was our drink. Uh, offensive coordinator drink. And I think Mike Zimmer was the D coordinator. If he wasn't there, it was his uh, protege after uh, Zimmer Gunther. had left, uh, Paul Gunther. Yep. And they played the same defense. And we ran for like 250 yards on him on Thursday Night Football because when you play that head-up, two-gapping defensive end to the tight end, it's just so easy to run that strong side-outside zone all day because mm-hmm. you just – it's. It's there all day. And then, as you know, with Kyle's offense, if you have the outside zone running scheme, that sets up your bootleg and all of your play action stuff, and it makes it so hard on a defense, they almost have no chance. So when I turned it on and I was watching those guys on defense, I was going, oh, it's over. If I had a chance 
to put a gazillion dollars on San Francisco after the first five minutes of watching Minnesota's <laughs> scheme, I would have done it. And you I could have won, done it. and I would have looked like a genius. And I could have quit the Tomahawk show. How much money? And gone and done something fun on my Sunday nights rather than talking <laughs> to you at 10 p.m. So instead of putting having a gazillion dollars to put on it, you didn't put any of the millions of dollars you actually did have in your account, <laughs> even though you watched the same first five minutes, right? Hey, man, both you and I know we are bound by the strict anti-gambling yes, policy true. of our number one employees, the NFL Network. Both exactly. you and I will be enjoying the soft, cushy comforts of the NFL Network from Radio Row yeah. with NFL <laughs> Network-sponsored Tomahawk Show Thursday and Friday of Super Bowl week. And the only way we can do that is if we <laughs> don't gamble on football. All right. Well, I guess there's no teaser there. You heard it here first, baby. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show. All right. Watching this game. I was focused on Kirk Cousins, Kid Cousins. Oh, shocking. You were watching the line play. (laughs) Yeah. As producer uh, John tabbed him. You notice I gave him the credit now that that he sucks. Um, So Kirk Cousins (laughs) played bad, and he looked like a deer in the headlights. I'm a a body language reader. And Kirk Cousins, you remember the Waterboy, Joe? Have you watched the Waterboy? Love that movie. It's a great movie. Um, You remember the look that- It's my favorite book of all time. (laughs) Who was the the coach of- uh, the mud dogs that was scared of the We've other got a coach. researcher for a reason, but geez, I can't remember the name. It doesn't matter. Fonzie from happy days. Fonzie from happy days. That, that is who he Henry was. Henry Winkler. Yeah. And he would have this look every time he was against the other coach on the other side of the field, even though he was super confident the team was good. He would revert back to this little, like, you know, punk and be scared and had that. That's the look I've seen in Kirk cousins eyes looking across the sideline at the 49ers, and Cal Shanahan was looking back like, I know you and I know everything. Everything we predicted to happen <laughs> in that game happened. The Vikings had seven three-play drives. Now, before we give credit to the defense, because we'll have that in our next question, that's what I was focused on. I wanted to see what Kirk Cousins did, especially off the backs of that big game in New Orleans. And my man shit the bed like my daughter um, up her back uh, when she was uh, like your skid a couple ba- yeah man like my back. my little skid loaders that's what Kirk Cousins was he was my third skid loader this weekend all right uh, but no I I think this was something that I talked about last week when I was out in LA doing total access leading up to the playoff games for the wild card weekend I said Kirk Cousins when he feels that people are talking about him and that he's got a lot of pressure on him he gets that deer in the headlights look and you can see his performance suffers because of it. And he needs like a superhuman effort around him to kind of get him out of that because he's he's one of the most sensitive quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Like yeah. the guy's a great player. He does amazing for long stretches of time, but he has this crisis of confidence from time to time when he just feels like the, uh, the pressure's on him and people don't believe in him. And when he succeeds in those situations, you get those, you like that type outbursts. You, right. you get those outbursts up because and down you can see it. it. It weighs on him, right? Yep. Be- but he's like that roller coaster of emotions. Oh, man. And I know people, w- when I said that, because uh, I was talking about him the week before and how he had that look, like he just didn't have that confidence in himself. And he gets that from time to time. And uh, people push back because of the season that he'd had, which overwhelmingly was pretty successful. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, but in those big moments, that's why the narrative is still there is because he doesn't believe in himself when the pressure's on and when it's a big moment. And yep. we even heard it, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before with Stefan Diggs on the sideline, like trying to encourage him. And Stefan, more than anybody, understands that 
he doesn't have confidence in himself. He doesn't believe that he can make the best decisions at the right moments of the game. And so he needs his star receiver to come over and be like, hey, you got this, buddy. You don't have to look for me. Just <laughs> let the offense take you wherever you want to throw the football. And to have your receiver tell your quarterback like that, like it was a dad talking to a kid in Little League, was just such a striking moment. And unfortunately for Kirk, that's really like summed up what his career has been. It's like he plays great at times. He plays really well when they're losing and he has a chance to rack up a bunch of stats. Uh, but when the pressure's on, you can tell he feels it because he's so worried about the perception of him as a player yeah. and he can't get over that in order to just play free and just to have that confidence because I think it goes back to a little bit. He's a really good person. Like he doesn't have this outsized ego, like a lot of like us you. in the football industry, like you Hawk, okay. where you, you have that ego, like, Hey, if you throw the ball, I know I'm going to make the play. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. I am the man for the job. Give me the ball. I, I like, have that's even what a worse see. ego than that because I'm more like, don't throw me the ball. I don't. I mean, throw it to me. Don't throw it to me. Who gives a shit? I mean, as right. long as the checks that would clear, be, uh, that's how big my ego uh, that is. would be more apathy and more interest <laughs> in hey, man. the paychecks. I don't give a damn if you take that ball and shove it up your. <laughs> but I, but I was always like, hey, I love the big moments. I love playing against the best players because I know that's what brings the best out of me. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like the opposite with Kirk a little bit, whereas he's like he fears those big moments because he fears that he knows everybody's going to be watching and that whatever he does, it, people potentially will be critical if he doesn't play well and it causes him to get tight. And we saw that on uh, Saturday, especially when things go bad, when things go bad with him, it like stays bad. You know what I mean? He, very rarely does he dig himself out of that funk, which isn't. You know, I mean, I'm not and I'm not saying Kirk has to be one of the top quarterbacks, but as we'll see later in the show, there's other quarterbacks who can respond in that situation. And that but that's why I've called him a momentum him quarterback. Yeah. He's a momentum guy like he'll play well for big, long stretches. But when things start going bad, the momentum of that bad play gets in his head Takes and he down. has a hard time being able to bust out of that because he just doesn't have that killer instinct that like alpha male personality like. Give me the ball. Let me throw it. I know I'm going to chuck it down the field, kind of like a Jameis Winston. No, maybe yeah. he doesn't want all a Jameis Winston, yeah, but Jameis, back every Jameis time Jameis Winston. gets the ball, Jameis like is like. Maybe on a Jameis Winston scale would be good. Yeah, Jameis is like, oh, man, I got the football. This is going to be a touchdown. Pick, <laughs> pick, pick six. But every time he gets the ball again, he's like, oh, I don't care what happened before. I don't care what people think. I'm throwing fluke. it out there. Like maybe Kirk Cousins needs to go to the Jameis Winston confidence school in the summer to get like. Skit. 20% of the Jameis Winston, I don't Method. give a fuck. I'm going to throw it, I don't care, into his repertoire, and then he'll be a, a Pro Bowl quarterback and can lead the Vikings to the Super Bowl. Jameis IDAF camp. All right, we're going to write that down. Okay, Hawk. What was your favorite under-the-radar subplot from this game? My favorite under-the-radar subplot was the fact that it was a duel for the Browns head coaching vacancy. I thought for sure... That it was like, you know what, let's just wait to this game. Our final two candidates are literally facing off against each other. We'll see who gets the better of the other one, and then we'll go with the winner. Um, and Sala, like I said on, on Twitter, was giving Stefanski wedgies and swirlies on TV. And even Purple <laughs> Nurples. He didn't care. It was like, it was a shellacking. Like I said, seven three-play drives. I mean, granted, that defense has like five or six first-rounders on it. Um, a Hall of Fame cornerback 
and you know Kawan Kawan Williams, who we played with us in Cleveland, and I think yeah. is one of the best nickels, if not the best nickel corner in the game. But still, it was wow. it was ugly. If you were judging it off performance of either side of that ball, it wasn't even close. But that actually wasn't what happened. It is what happened, but kind of probably the opposite. It was like, okay, whoever's available tomorrow <laughs> will be the head coach, right? <laughs> so that was my favorite subplot. How about you, Joe? What was your favorite subplot to this game? Yeah, I loved how it was the uh, the Browns head coaching bowl. That was very interesting to me. But um, I, I was curious what you thought about uh, the Richard Sherman victory lap. Ah, yes. I know you're you, you and Sherman tight. I mean, we're uh, not we're t- we're cool. That's my. I mean, I cool. like him. I'm, I'm a Sherman you're fan. Cool. We'll say it like that. I'm not. Right. We're not tight. You know, he would never be like, yeah, me. And I'm Mark a Sherman are tight. fan too. I'm just a fan of him. To be honest, I'm a fan too. Um, because I appreciate someone who comes in from the back door and just rises to the top, and he has that eternal chip on his shoulder. Like, yep. it, it'll never go off, and every time he does well, oh, he talks his shit. I remember okay. Sherman's story. Uh, my first year in the league, 2011, we're playing the Seahawks. It's like, it's like the seventh game of the season or something. At that time, A.J. Green was the number four overall pick. Um, he had been balling early. You could already tell A.J. Green was a superstar, right? We had another receiver on our team, um, Waylon, who was a six-round pick from Stanford, and Richard Sherman was also a six-round pick from Stanford for Seattle. So we were playing them that week. One of their corners were hurt. So they were starting Richard Sherman for the first game of his career that he ever started. Mm. And so like in a big mouth rookie, he just comes out and starts popping shit about A.J. Green. Like he's not that good. And he's going to find that out on Sunday. I'm not scared of him. He should be more scared of me than I am of him because they're asking about A.J. Green. Mm. And we're in the receiver room like, who the hell does this dude think he is? Like, it's, it's pissing us off. Like, so we're like, oh, we can't wait to go out there. AJ, you about to go off on this cat. You about to get him cut because he's a six-rounder. He barely made the team, right? So when AJ goes off on this dude, we're all going to celebrate when he gets washed out of the league for talking too much. He hasn't even started a game yet, and this dude is running his mouth. We get in the game. I think AJ did score a touchdown. But for the most part, Richard Sherman played really, really well. And that was the beginning of the Richard Sherman era where he talked shit on everybody he played against and then lived up to exactly what he said. So here we are now. He's a future Hall of Famer. So I appreciate him at, at 47 years old playing man-to-man and getting picks and him going to the press conference and calling everybody out because people hate it. And it's entertaining, man. That's that's my take on Richard Sherman. I know you probably no, have a different I, I take. agree. I, the, the best part about Richard Sherman, he plays great. He's a Hall of Famer. I, I agree. Is the entertainment value, right? Like, like a wrestler. As as NFL fans, now that we're not players anymore, no, we're watching. I love how he just brings entertainment and excitement and chatter to the game. Like, yes, he's one of those polarizing figures where you love him or, or you, you hate, hate him. him. Yep. But he's always going to be out there, and he's always going to be saying something that's interesting and provocative, and he brings excitement to the sport. Like he's yep. the anti Russell Wilson, which is so funny that they've been teammates for so long. Like, <laughs> Russell will never ever say anything or do anything that's even a shred of controversy where Sherman, he doesn't back down one bit as a matter of fact, if it's controversial at all, he's running right to it. And to me, that just, that makes it fun. I think you need those personalities in the game to keep it exciting. Here's the thing. 20 years from now, nobody's going to talk about the the player who never said nothing. He might've been a good player. Darrell Reeves is going to be a great player. They'll talk about his play. They won't say, I remember Darrell Reeves for this or that. No one's going to say, I hate, or I love, Darrell Revis. No one's going to say they hate or they love Patrick Peterson. 
You know what I mean? Like Richard Sherman, 40 years from now, people are going to be telling their grandkids when he pops up on the NFL 150, the 150 year, and he's on the NFL 150 team, they're going to be like, I fucking hated that dude. Or I loved him. He did this. It was an NFC championship 50 years ago. He went, he grabbed the mic. Like that is, that's a cool thing to me, man. I'm not going to lie. It's the Deion Sanders. It's the, the Terrell Owens. Say what you want. But these are guys that still garner the same passionate conversations around their personality as if it was yesterday and it was a decade ago. Do a little fill in the blank here. The weakest part of this 49ers team is? Well, right now it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, come on. You Why got influenced not? by producer John. Hang on. All right. Do not cut me off. I'm sorry. I that doesn't mean he's Don't. weak. That doesn't mean he's even bad. All I'm saying is their run game is number one in the NFL now True. that Lamar Jackson's gone. Their defense has got to be top two or three. And I don't see their quarterback as being a top two or three guy. And so, to me, the weakness is that quarterback. Now, I still think Jimmy's really good. I loved watching the way he played. He was uh, he had one touchdown, one interception. Mm-hmm. He was very decisive with his decision-making. He was He's a great leader for their team. He does a nice job off the play action. Good-looking dude. He moves well in the pocket. I love watching his feet. He learned a lot from Brady when he was in New England because he's very calm in the pocket. He has very very steady and calm feet. And then when he's ready to throw, he snaps it in there. And so I think he is a guy that can win with his arm, but you're talking about a San Francisco team right now that is the favorite, in my opinion, to win the Super Bowl. Mm, and tease. so the weakest, if you have to say there's any weak part right now, it's Jimmy G. So if I'm looking at how do I attack the San Francisco 49ers, if I'm the Green Bay Packers, knowing that we've got to go into San Francisco and attack them, what do I want to do? Okay, well, I know their D-line and their defense is really good. So what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to throw the ball quickly. We're going to have to try to run the football a little bit, although it's going to be difficult. Uh, but more than anything, we got to stop their running game and force Jimmy G to beat you from in the pocket with his arm. Now that's easier said than done, but that is the best way to attack him right now. I mean, look, man, Jimmy G, I get it. He's not throwing for 300 yards a game. He has a great running game. He has a great defense, all the things that are awesome, right? But even still, in the game where they've needed him to do what he needed to do, he's done it. Like when they needed him to throw for 300 yards, He's done it when they needed him to take over games or, or get drives. I mean, this guy, we've seen him. I, I want to say he has like seven or eight fourth quarter drives for wins in his career. And he's 22 and five as a starter. So I, I just I get what you're saying. They're so good that he's the weakest thing. But I would say the weakest part of the 49ers team is the running backs. And again, like you said, it's not a knock on them. Because they're good and they they work hard. My favorite thing about them is that they're all in the kickoff team and all in the punt team, meaning they're all in. But what I'm saying is with that system, it's kind of plug and play. Like, we've seen it before. We've seen middle-of-the-road running backs do really well in that system in multiple places that Kyle Shanahan has been. And I'm not calling those guys middle-of-the-road. They're overachieving. They're balling out, right? There's something to be said for guys who go out there and do what they're asked to do at a high level. But... I do think there's a lot of running backs you could plug in there and they could have that same kind of success. All right. So I'm going to use what you just told me as the weakness okay. to prove that that's their strength. Okay. Their strength is the fact that you don't need to rely on one guy. It's not like Saquon Barclays back there. And if he gets hurt in the game, he gets dinged up. It's over. Like, no, it doesn't matter who's back there because the scheme makes those running backs great Okay, because the way they're coached and the way that 
in order to run in that scheme, it doesn't take a great amount of talent. It just takes an attention to the detail of what you're being asked in the scheme. So you're saying because they have so many guys, it's not a weakness. But that's why the running back is their strength because it doesn't matter who's back there. It doesn't matter if they get injured. As long as they know the offense, they can go out there and play and play just as well as any of the other guys. So then George Kittle is their weakness then. Because if he gets hurt, <laughs> yeah, go the team, they one. lose. All right, so that by that logic, the 49ers' biggest weakness is George Kittle. <laughs> Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, everybody. We're giving right, you perfect. the hard-hitting stuff that nobody else will get you. All right, what's next, Joe? Can you believe it's conference championship week already? We got Green Bay, San Francisco, Tennessee, Kansas City. It's the first time ever I don't have somebody that I hate playing in the conference championship game. Time's up for two of the teams playing this weekend, but you still have time to feed your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game. Quite like having a free shot at over $750,000 with your first deposit. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. Download the DraftKings app now and use code Tomahawk, T-H-O-M-A-H-A-W-K, for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. New users, be sure to use code Tomahawk with an H during sign up, and you'll also get a free shot at seven hundred and fifty grand with your first deposit. That's code Tomahawk. Don't forget the H, and you can get a deposit bonus up to five hundred dollars only at DraftKings. Minimum five dollar deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a twenty five time playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. The Titans done the Ravens with a twenty eight twelve win in Baltimore. Hawk. What stood out to you in this game? Um, the thing that stood out to me was the fact that we're all idiots and nobody knows anything about anything. Whoa. Just when you just break it down to the bare bones of it. If you would have said before then, like, hey, Hawk, I need you to bet me one of your kidneys that the Ravens will win this game. I would have said, yeah, whatever. How about a lung too? throw a kidney, a lung and a, and a pinky toe. It's all good. Trust me. The Ravens are going to win and win going away. And here we are, you know, the Titans end up balling and the Ravens looked like the only the only other time this year I've seen the Ravens look like that is when they played the Browns, which I thought was an anomaly. And I thought, you know, there's no way they don't show up in this game. And I was completely wrong. That's what stood out to me that I'm an idiot because I'm a narcissist and I make everything about myself. How about you, Joe? What stood out to you? What stood out to me is that Austin and Tomahawk show perfectly predicted how this game was going to unfold. Not that it was going to unfold the way it did. Yeah, we didn't predict the day the Titans would win. I, that's a, that's an incredible spin job by you. What we said. We predicted the only way we would be wrong is the way that the we were wrong. Only way the Baltimore Ravens lose is if they have a bunch of turnovers early in the game, they get behind, and they're forced to crawl their way back into the game because mm -hmm. that's their only perceivable weakness. And that's exactly what happened. Now, we yep. didn't say that's what was going to happen. But in yeah. the NFL, let's be honest, no matter what team you're talking about, even going back to the Dolphins undefeated team of the 70s, there is no perfect team with no flaws. And so there's ways that any team can lose no matter how good you are. And so any given Sunday, any given Saturday in this case, 
You can have things that happen throughout the course of the game that exploit things that you don't do as well, and that's exactly what we saw happen. A lot of it, when you're talking about turnovers, does come down to maybe unlucky things that happen, chance. Uh, some of it is set up by your own errors, but in the in the end, they're unlucky things that have happened in the Baltimore Ravens case. A bunch of turnovers early in the game. They got behind, and it was difficult for them to come back, although it wasn't impossible. They still had a chance. They just weren't able to overcome all the obstacles. And you got to give credit uh, to the Titans for playing a good game. And they had the ultimate guy over there in Derrick Henry who could ice the Ravens yeah, because man. their offensive Jeez. line and those guys that are run blocking for them just chew up so much clock when they're running the football, they're falling forward. They're just leaning on you the whole game. And so for them to be able to get up early, it was just the perfect scenario to win that football game. And Derrick Henry is like track trying to tackle a geo tracker um, because he's a defensive end playing running back. And you he's could tell e- even the Baltimore Ravens who are incredible defense and tough and nasty and like to tackle, they were turning it down. And you could see it like we like we're watching you. You're on TV. You know, all of America is seeing you turn down these tackles. All right, Joe, tell me this. What was your favorite under the radar subplot of this game? Uh, To me, I was watching Ryan Tannehill because I am really curious what the Titans are going to do with him this offseason. Okay. They've got a big decision to make, right? Like he has come in and all of a sudden they have a chance to maybe win the Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. Ugh. Now he Can was a guy imagine? that was cast away in Miami last year. And are they going to sign him to like a huge deal? Are they going to franchise him? Are they going to give him like a two or three year prove it deal? Like what's going to happen? Because he's the ultimate risk guy because You've seen a small sample size that's been really good, but are you willing to commit your franchise for seven years and maybe 25, 30 million a year to a guy that's only been around for half of a season? But if you let him go, the risks are almost bigger because imagine letting him walk out the door and go sign with somebody else. And then whoever you replace him with turns out to be a bum and you don't make the playoffs. You look like the biggest dipshits of all time that you finally had the franchise quarterback <laughs> that fit your offense that fit exactly what you want and you don't walk out the door because you just thought you were smarter than everybody else in the room I, we don't use dipshits enough on this show and I, i'm gonna <laughs> i want to say that for sure that's one thing we got to fix yeah, you can say that. um the Tannehill take is good but to put it in perspective he threw for 88 yards and on one of those plays it was 45 yards and another another touchdown play it was 12 so that's 57 yards on two plays. He completed seven passes. And the week before, he threw for 72 yards. So if he indeed gets the big contract because of his playoff performance, he should immediately take 38.22% of it, um, get it out of the bank in cash, drive it to wherever Derrick Henry is, and leave it on his front lawn for him to come home to as as a gift. Because to throw for 88 yards... And again, on one of those plays, 45 yards, it was a great pass. Um, and that be what catapults you to $100 million because of your playoff performance is interesting. And I'm, I mean, producer John is like, yeah, Tannehill should get paid. But then he also said Jimmy Garoppolo was weak. So it's just a, it's a weird world we're living here in a Tomahawk show. John, get a mic. Defend yourself. I never said Tannehill should get paid. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, maybe you're just writing the rundown and I'm, I'm using this as, as your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think they do have to sign him to a contract next year. I'll be interested to see if he gets like the big Kirk Cousins guaranteed deal, if he gets like the Mike Glenn improve it deal. He's gonna get the Flacco. Tannehill is Ryan Flacco. He is not like I don't think it's a, it's an epiphany, like, oh man, this guy is dope. Like, no, it's a contract year. 
He's putting all the pieces together at the right, perfect time. He's going to get a huge deal, and he's going to go back to being Ryan Tannehill, like Flacco did. But who would they be bidding against is my question. Who's going to say, like, oh, we have to— Public eye. You don't have to bid against— Like, like Flacco—I mean, again, in free agency, the people who need quarterbacks— who are who are those teams? I guess are the Bears and the Colts going to outbid? Yeah, the we Titans? know the Bears. I mean, the Bears, the the Chargers. You can do enough there because you're a middle of the pack team. You don't have a high pick, um, but there's no good quarterbacks available in free agency. And the Titans would also be in that same world, right? So now you're picking 27th, 28th, and you're going to let Ryan Tannehill walk. Where the hell are you going to get a quarterback from? Because you're not close enough to the draft, and you don't have enough to trade up that far. So there's no way you can let him walk because. You basically handcuff your franchise for the next four or five years. Especially if they make the Super Bowl. Right. So you got to commit now because you don't have a choice because he's, he's, they've done too well. Derrick Henry has played too well for you not to commit to Ryan Tannehill. Shout out to Vrabel. That was my subplot of the game. Vrabel, big fan of Vrabel, even more of it now. I love that he's going on the road, beating teams he's not supposed to beat. You know, the players love him. Anyone who's ever played with him or, or played for him, you know, they, they sing his praises. And I, I couldn't be more happy for the dude, man. All right. Hawk. Fill in the blank. All right. The Titans making the AFC championship game proves. We're all idiots. I said it earlier, and I still believe it now. I don't think there's anybody out there who's smart. There's not one human, anybody who covers football, watches football, that is smart. You're Pro- all Producer TD and Nate Burleson are the only two people I saw pick the Titans. So and that's just them. because they like shock value. I mean, that, that's not because they, they knew they were going to win. It was like <laughs> they're contrarian. It's like, oh, I'm going to pick against because they know if you win – you get the look what I did, you know. It's I've, I've played that game before. I went, I've I've won that game, you know. <laughs> right. But my thing is, you, you know, play stupid game, win stupid prizes. Never scored a TD. I got <laughs> no, you back. <laughs> All right, so shout out to TD. Shout out to Nate Burleson. Joe, you fill in that same blank. Um, the Titans beating the Ravens proves what? It proves that the Kyle Shanahan drink offense <laughs> is the best. Most thorough offense in the NFL right now. Because if you think about They don't even run the Cal Shanahan offense, do they? Yes, they do. You're wrong. They okay. do run Kyle's offense. So here's mm. here's your your teams right now in the championship game. He gets feisty around Cal Shanahan. He doesn't play that shit. <laughs> hey, you ready? You ready to hear this fucking thing? All right, let's go. Here's the four teams that are going to be playing to get in the Super Bowl next weekend. Give it to me. San Francisco, Green Bay, both Kyle Shanahan offenses, Matt LaFleur. Direct disciple. I mean, he is the guy washing yeah. Kyle Shanahan's feet when yeah. they were together. Yep. He was the one right. getting the Kyle Shanahan drinks. <laughs> he was getting <laughs> Kyle Shanahan's drinks. <laughs> All right. In the AFC, it's the Titans. Uh-huh. Who's the other fucking Chiefs. Chiefs. I'm too drunk to remember. <laughs> All right. In the AFC, it's the Titans who are running Kyle Shanahan's offense and the Chiefs, who's Andy Reid, who's running the West Coast which the passing concepts come from the Bill Walsh scheme, which is where Mike Shanahan <laughs> took the original Kyle Shanahan scheme from. So then when wouldn't it all be Bill Rush <laughs> Now, granted, the We're rushing offense here. is totally different and the play okay. action is totally different. Right. But three out of the four teams right now in the AFC and NFC Championship are running the Kyle Shanahan offense, and the other team is running the genesis of it from a passing concept with like, all sorts of wackadoo, brainiac, so, offensive craziness from Andy Reid. So is this the spread of like, is the Shanahan offense, the, the, the this version of the West Coast, the new offense that is going to spread to everyone? Should everybody be going to trying to get somebody to run this offense? 
I would say because defenses haven't adapted yet. No, because no, defenses okay. will adapt. It's like the classic Bill Belichick thinking is the trends in the NFL are always the opposite of the direction that you want to go. Because if everybody's doing one thing, that means the other side of it is going to be undervalued and you're going to be able to get those players that fit that scheme cheaply. And in mm. the end, everybody's going to prepare and be really good at stopping the one scheme that's the most predominant in the NFL. And then if you're running whatever's different, you have that advantage because people don't see it on a daily basis. Okay. All right. So those teams will suck next year. You heard it here first. All right. Next one, Joe. The Chiefs mounted an epic comeback against the Texans, 51 to 31, after starting going down in the first quarter, 21 nothing and 24 nothing at one point in the second. Joe, what stood out to you about this game? I, I'm not a hater on Bill O'Brien. I know most okay. Texans fans. Now, insert hate. <laughs> a lot of people that love uh, the Houston Texans are not big Bill O'Brien fans. Hey, look, man, I'm not racist, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not racist, but. Uh, Bill O'Brien made one of the all-time stupidest moves in playoff history by faking a punt when you're up, what is it? Tw- they're up 24 to 7, and you fake seven. a punt in a game where you know the other team needs a lot of possessions to get back into it. So run the football, allow Deshaun Watson to do the magic things that he does, Uh where when they're selling out to stop him, he runs around. You've got three really fast receivers that can get open once Deshaun Watson starts scrambling. They can't play one-on-one with all three of those guys and throw to the guy who is in the one-on-one coverage. Yeah. All right. I don't know if I made, I don't know if I said that the right way, but basically what I'm trying to say is never fake you run the ball until they put an extra guy in there to try to stop the run. And then one of those three studs, Kenny Stills, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and Will Fuller will get a one-on-one look and throw the ball to him. Yeah. You do that the rest of the game, you win. Yeah. But if you do stupid stuff like turn the football over and try to run fake punts when you don't need to when hey. you're up by t- uh, 24 to 7, that's how you lose games. That's how you tip the momentum in the other team's favor. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as the Chiefs got that stop on fourth down, it was like energy was injected into their sideline. And all of a sudden they thought, we actually have a chance. And what happened? It turned into an onslaught. And it was a complete blowout from that point going forward. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, Coach O'Brien. You are absolutely right because they went up 24 nothing. This is what stood out to me. They went up 24 nothing. Going into this game, I said the Texans have to get their running backs going. Here's why. You got to eat clock and you got to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. That was even going into the game at 0-0. You're up 24 nothing, right? That should have been your entire strategy like, "Hey, we need this running game to go." And you you use Duke Johnson in the passing game or, you know, you get him in with the mix of Carlos Hyde. And they did not do that, man. And you're right. They gave them extra possessions. Special teams killed them because then they fumbled on the kickoff return. And they got ugly. But the Chiefs are the real deal. The ability to come back from 24-0 in one quarter. They scored 24 points, like 27 points in like four minutes in that game, which is ridiculous, right? And I don't know if there's any other team in the league that has the ability to do that. Now, a lot of things happened their way. A lot of things got lucky. But even still, even without the the fourth down conversion, even without the fumble, they still were going to win that game. Like, if their offense got rolling, there was nothing the Texans could do. And that was prevalent from that point on. Okay, Hawk, 
fill in the blank. The fact that the Chiefs went down 24-0 and ended up winning 51-31 shows us that. They're going to the Super Bowl. There's no way the Titans can beat them. Absolutely not. I mean, they, they're they a team who can eat clock. And again, this is famous last words. I keep saying this every week about the Titans, everybody they've played the entire season, even from week one when they played the Browns. But I remember they when they beat the Browns, I was like, this team ain't going to the Super Bowl. And, and here we are. Um, so I'm going to say it again. I'm going to double down. I don't think they can beat the Chiefs because it does not matter how much clock you eat. They don't need many possessions to score a lot of points, right? Um, the wild card is the defense. What is the defense going to do? They buckled up late in this game, but even still, Sean Watson had a good day, right? And if, there was, if it wasn't for the momentum swinging, that, that would have been tough. But again, I just think this offense is too good um, for the Titans to compete. How about you, Joe? The fact the Chiefs went down 24 nothing and ended up winning 51-31 shows what? That the Chiefs are going to have confidence no matter what the situation is going uh. all the way to the Super Bowl. And now they are my Super Bowl favorites because mm. – I can't remember a team that can score as quickly and as many ways as them. The the great Travis Kelsey, another member of the Tama Flock, yes. was absolutely lights out. They could not cover him anywhere on the field. And when you go and you have such a deficit in a game like this and you're able to come back and win in a big manner the way they did, that's going to give that team confidence that no matter what the stakes are, no matter what the situations are, they're never out of it. And they're going to believe in themselves that they're going to be able to win no matter where they are. If it's a Super Bowl and they're down mm-hmm. 14, they're going to be looking at each other like, all right, now this is where we go and do what we did the last time we got down 14 or 21 or yep. whatever it is. You get that belief in yourself, and it's it's going to be so hard to just stamp them out and snuff them out. It doesn't matter where they are in that Super Bowl, and I think they're going to make it to the Super Bowl they're going to be believing that they're going to win that game. And that's a very powerful thing to have that belief in yourself. Yeah, man. I, and, I mean, we got to slow the train down on George Kittle is the best tight end in the NFL. I'm not saying he might not be, but Ooh, we like can't Kelsey. just act. We just can't act, call him baby Gronk and act like Travis Kelsey doesn't exist because the dude's a beast. He delivers. He's their number one receiver, and he's a tight end. I know George Kittle is too, but he's on a team with a lot of other playmakers. He's the number one receiver with Tyreek Hill on the team. So we got to give them some respect in that regard. All right. Uh, what do we got next, Joe Packers outlasted the Seahawks 28, 23 from your perspective, Hawk, what stood out in this game? The Packers are good. Yeah. Um, call me Booger McFarlane, but when that team had more points than the other team at the end of the game, I yeah, thought to myself, good. they could win this. Uh, <laughs> Here, here's something that's funny. Cause it sounds like Booger's going to be out as the Monday night guy. And, you know, there's been a lot of speculation that you and I are going to join yep. the Monday night booth. And I see the three-man booth. Yep. Um, but the funny thing is when I think back to what everybody considers the greatest color guy of all time, uh, at least in our generation, everyone says John Madden, right? Everyone loves like him. I say, I say Martin Luther King and all right. Who's he the greatest not, colored guy of all time? He, he may have been the greatest colored, <laughs> but not color. So the greatest color football guy uh-huh. that our generation remembers was John Madden. And the reason everybody loved John Madden is because he said stupid, simple stuff all the time. Right. And he just was excited, which is the same stuff <laughs> exactly. that everyone shits on Booger about. Like, no Twitter Booger just makes the obvious comments. But that's exactly what Madden did, and we loved him for it. We loved so, him. Riddle me that. Somebody needs to maybe hit us up on the Tama hotline, uh, 440-628-1376. Make it make sense. And let us know why the stuff that John Madden said 
if Booker McFarland said it, everyone would roast him. But we love John Madden for saying those same things. There was no platform to roast John Madden. So what did he do? He got a video game for it, right? <laughs> I'm going to start the Booker McFarland video game. McFarland 21. Get ready for it because I'm going to be the one to champion it. And everybody better play, right? Because um, you are completely right. And it's funny because even being in sports media, I look at all the tweets of all our colleagues. And it's, you know, this show was up 2% this year. And they give a shout out to the guy that was on it because he was the reason or she was the reason that the show has done so much better and it was doing bad. And now that they were on it, more people watched. And that's no coincidence. The fact of the matter is Monday Night Football was up 5% this year. But yet they're getting rid of Booker McFarlane and everyone said he's terrible. Right. But when Jason Witten was on there, the numbers were down. And they blame that on Jason Witten. So what is it? You get to just pick when and when not that they contribute to it? I don't know. All right, Joe. Uh, so what was your favorite under-the-radar subplot of the Packers and Seahawks? My favorite under-the-radar subplot was just like I've always been saying that just because you get down to the one-yard line and you give Marshawn Lynch the football <laughs> doesn't mean you automatically score a touchdown. There's defenses that take it away. You have to remain some level of unpredictable, and you can't just hand it off to your big, strong running back and expect a touchdown every time. Nickname Beast Wait. Mode. Wait a second. It worked every time Seattle got down there. Never mind. Go ahead. And it's funny because it wasn't even like he put his shoulders down and ran hard through a hole. He would get stopped. He would be wrapped up and he would keep going for a touchdown. Like they literally could not stop him like they never have been able to. Um, and this might be the last time we ever see Marshawn Lynch on a yeah. football field, at least for another couple of years. And <laughs> that's the last thing we're ever going to remember is he's still unstoppable <laughs> right. on the goal line. He sat out football for two years, came back, and was still unstoppable in goal line football. Um, all right, so my favorite subplot, um, under the Raiders subplot of this game, was how good Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are. Because the Seahawks were down – pretty big I mean like as far as playoff football is concerned they were down two scores at one time and you know Green Bay was clicking but they were never out of the football game like it felt with the Ravens right like when the Ravens went down we kind of knew just the way their football team is set up everyone knew they couldn't battle back um, the Chiefs came back one big because they can score points but Russell Wilson was kind of putting this team on his back and even down to that last drive where they didn't convert and had to punt away to the Packers there was a drop pass. Had that guy caught the pass, which was right in his breadbasket, and he like no one around him, they probably would have marched down there and scored. I'm that confident around Russell Wilson. When you look around the league, top five quarterbacks in the league right now are honest. This is this is probably in order. I'm ranking them: Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes. This is where it gets tough. Breeze, Brady, Lamar. I would go Breeze and Watson, Lamar at five. And I'm putting Brady six. Hmm. That's my top five. Took one game for Lamar to get dropped five spots. I never had him as the top quarterback. Wow. Okay. He's the best athlete, but I, I, I wouldn't. He was never number one. I'm, I was never taking him as just if I'm starting my franchise. Would he be in your top five of receivers? He's yes. <laughs> he would be my top five of every position except tackle, including guard and center, except <laughs> for quarterback. Apparently, no. Yep, he is about top five. Five, he's five A, and Watson is five B. Rogers ahead of Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, but I don't, I don't think honestly the top three are interchangeable to me. Russell, Mahomes, and and Rogers are like top three. Period. Like when they're like, because I mean, seriously, man, the stuff Russell was doing mm-hmm. and just keeping them in there, like you could just such a command for the game. Doesn't get rattled. Not a situation too big for him. Doesn't back down because he doesn't 
have any emotion and you can't really tell. He might be a robot. I'm not 100% sure yet. We'll figure it out. So what you're saying is the opposite of Kirk Cousins. So Kirk Cousins actually needs to go to the Russell Wilson summer school of being a quarterback. Yes, <laughs> Russell Wilson Passing Academy. Yes. Russell's like, here's how you don't care. You First you marry an <laughs> uh, R&B singer. Um, you make all your contract money and you get that they can't take that away from you. And then it's all good. And life is good. It's the Brady. Russell went to the Brady school of not giving a shit. Go get uh, a celebrity supermodel wife, and life is good after that. There's not much anybody can tell you. I wish more guys would pay attention. Yeah, it's that simple. All right, fill in the blank, Joe. The key for the Packers to beating the 49ers is? They've got to be in a close game. I actually think the Packers have a great chance in this because the Packers have an amazing amount of balance. They don't rely on any one person or any one facet of their game. And they play very good defense Absolutely. against the run, against the pass. They have good special teams. They have good passing. They have good pass blocking. They can run the football. They can put the hand, the ball in the hands of Aaron Rodgers. He can throw the football down the field. He can throw short passes. They can do everything very well. And so they can morph into whatever they need to be to win. And I think that's a very good formula in the playoffs because a lot of times you tend to face these uh, tough matchups like mm -hmm. we saw with uh, the Titans and the Ravens. Like all of a sudden the Titans just had the Ravens number where we didn't see that almost the entire season. Uh, but for the Packers, I just feel like they're not going to run into that anywhere. And, you know, now it's the 49ers and there's nothing that the 49ers are going to do to be able to take advantage of from the Packers standpoint. And so I actually, I think I might even take the Packers in this game. Mm, you're drunk, but we won't make those predictions yet before. I mean, you're way too many minutes of the Kyle Shanahan for Joe quite yet. Um, okay, I have nothing for that fill in the blank, and that's perfectly fine because it's my podcast. So I'm not going to answer it. Um, and I, we'll, we'll make our picks later in the week. I'm actually not sure where I'm going to go with it. I thought for sure I felt like the 49ers were going to the Super Bowl. After watching the Packers click, I'm not sure anymore. Because I feel like this is going to be a slugfest in the NFC Championship. And Kyle Shanahan and Lil Wayne are going to be conflicted. Because Lil Wayne is a Packers fan. And Kyle Shanahan named his son after Lil Wayne. So is he going to lose fandom that he sees Lil Wayne wearing Packers stuff? I don't know. So many subplots. Kyle Shanahan drink. All right, next up, we got Am I Trippin'? It's a special edition, Am I Trippin'? Because I know you want to talk Browns. All right, we only got one question in this week's edition of Am I Tripping? Because we all know what you came for. We know what you want to talk about. We know what you want to hear. And we can't wait to give you our opinions and perspective. The Red Bull is flowing with this one. John, drop it on us. The Cleveland Browns are reportedly hiring Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski. As usual, people on Twitter are upset. Is Twitter tripping? Or is this, in fact, a bad hire for Cleveland? No. Okay. It's a great hire. Okay. First of all, <laughs> first of all, they got a guy who is extremely bright. Mm -hmm. He's young. He's a great leader of men. He's also great from an organizational standpoint. He is a guy that can get the entire organization on the same page. He can get everybody believing in a common theme and a common message. And he also is going to have a cutting edge offensive philosophy he comes from the kyle shanahan's uh 
tree. Mm-hmm. He'll probably bring a lot of those assistants that he had in Minnesota with him to Cleveland, mm-hmm. including potentially Gary Kubiak, which uh, I would love to see. The system you just said people shouldn't adopt. Well, the reason you shouldn't adopt it just willy-nilly is because by the time you usually get around to it, everyone just jumping on that bandwagon, uh-huh. it's time to change. Too late. And right now, we're still sort of at the beginning, like trending in the upward direction for this offense and the scheme, and it's got an opportunity to evolve. And if you're one of the people that is smart enough to be able to continually evolve it, you're able to stay ahead of the trend. If you're the person that's just trying to learn it, like uh, we've had some offensive coordinators where it was like, here, this is the playbook that I found that I heard was really good right now. Let's just all memorize it together, and Mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do. Like, no, this is the baseline for what you want to be as an offense, and then from there, you're going to use your brains and your understanding of football to be able to continually evolve and turn new plays and new concepts out there as you're taking things that you're watching other teams do well and you're seeing what works against your people and what works in practice. And you're you're constantly using the uh, playbook that you have as a living document. Um, do I know Kevin Stefanski? No, I don't know him at all, but... I have had an opportunity as the Browns were going through this search to reach out to a lot of players that have played for all the guys that were potential coaches for the Browns. And I said, without giving them any information, like, hey, I know you're one of the big-time players for Mm -hmm. this coach. Give me a quick five-minute pros and cons on every one of these coaches, right? And so the players that I talked to in Minnesota were some of the key guys on offense that had worked with him for a long time, uh-huh. and they gave nothing but glowing reviews. Glowing. Glowing. Okay. And I said specifically because, you know, sometimes how you ask the question is what answer you're going to get. And so if you're asking somebody sometimes, you know, okay, what do you think about this guy? Like you might just get all nice stuff if they're just a nice person. Right. But to kind of counteract that, I always would say like, Hey, what are the cons? What are the things he doesn't do well? And then for Stefanski, I I always ask, like, he's never been a head coach. He's only been an offensive coordinator for a short amount of time. What makes you believe that he can stand up there in front of a team and handle a lot of big-time personalities like the Browns have? And this player said he has been able to do it in Minnesota with Adam Thielen and uh, Kyle Rudolph and Stefan Diggs mm-hmm. and Kirk Cousins and the personalities that they have on that offense this year better than anybody that I've ever been around. And this was a player who's a veteran who's been around a long time. Okay, so and none I of said, those well, players the- were the player you talked to. It's Dalvin Cook. Well, not necessarily. Continue. Not necessarily. <laughs> but then I then I then I asked. I said, well, you know, candidly, what are, what are the biggest cons about Kevin Stefanski? And he goes, if he left. I would have to learn a new offense, and this is my favorite offense that I've ever played in. Mm. All right. All right, Dalvin. I see you getting it going. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't Dalvin Cook. Okay, not Dalvin Cook. All right, so, I I mean, I like that. I like the hire, man. I mean, we're not going to just skim over the fact that I predicted essentially four or five head coaches on here um, because I said (laughs) that the Browns would hire him, as I did with McCartney to the Cowboys and Joe Judge to the Giants and – you know, Rivera to the Redskins, everybody knew it as soon as he got done, so that really wasn't a prediction. I was wrong about the Panthers, but, you know, it isn't about me, right, even though um, I want to make it. Uh, yeah, I like the hire, Joe. I'm not going to lie. I wanted Salah. That's no secret. I, I liked what Why he did you want Salah? Because I just felt like he had that kind of leadership, 
mentality and not that Stefanski doesn't, but Sala is a very in-your-face and he's dealing with a lot of personalities over at the 49ers. He's dealing with the Bosa's. He's dealing with the Richard Shermans. He's dealing with the, you know, these, again, big-time players who are all first-round picks, big-money guys with big personalities, and he's controlling that room. That, I felt like, bode, bodes well in Cleveland, who is, and, and that team that's doing the same thing. A lot of early-round picks, big-time players, big personalities who are making a lot of money um, that you have to convince to all be on one accord for a common goal. That direct correlation is what I was excited about. And he was still going to bring the same kind of offense, which Stefanski does too. But still, I wanted Salah was one, Stefanski was two. I didn't, I wasn't high on McDaniel's for the Browns. I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, I, we said that on this podcast. But Stefanski, I feel good about because of the collaborative nature you're talking about. Um, and, I, and and fans, they have to realize that yes, we've had a lot of turnover, and the Browns have had a lot of turnover over the years. And it's a it's a GM, then it's a head coach, and it's everybody, then it's whatever. And the biggest thing, and again, the thing that has them always has preached when we were in those situations is he wants people to be on the same page. They have yet to get a front office and coach and everyone who understands and is on the same page with the same accord. Because what happens is things go bad and people start finger pointing because they start worried about saving their ass or they start worried about their public perception. And each time since the time when I got there in 2014 till now, it's happened. When things go bad, people point fingers. And they want it to be where everyone is on the same page, that we're going to sink together or we're going to rise together. And when they have that mission and they all bought into that, it's going to give them more time. And I think Stefanski does provide that. He's a smart guy like you talked about. He's collaborative. The thing I like best about him is that he comes from an organizational pedigree, where his dad has been an executive in the NBA, NBA player. Um, And why that's a big deal is because it's not too big for him. When I got to the NFL – you know, like, oh, you've handled a lot of things well, and you did this and you did that. And the reason why it wasn't too big for me, because I lived that experience through my older brother. So it was, I'm serious, it, it just wasn't that big to me because I had already gone through it. I feel like Stefanski will be the same thing where we've seen the Freddie Kitchens, you know, not deal with the media the right way or, or you know, be worried. Where we've seen head coaches that are worried about the wrong thing because now you're the guy, you're the face. And you're worried about what people are writing about you or how you're perceived or second guessing your decisions. I don't think we're going to get that from Stefanski. I think he's going to understand we're keeping that in house. Who gives a damn what they say? Let's just figure out how to win football games. One thing I like about him, and I've talked about when I'm picking a head coach, if it was my decision, I look at pedigree a lot, Mm -hmm. right? Like, what are your experiences? How many different uh places coaches schemes have you worked in because every one of those is going to give you a different perspective and it's going to make you a more all-around good coach Mm -hmm. and the fact that kevin stefanski has been in minnesota basically his whole career was a negative for me i like guys that bounce around because that means you've had an opportunity to see a lot of different organizations and see a lot of different ways to make things work like Josh because McCown. there's a lot yeah. of ways to skin a cat there's a, there's not only one way to go win a Lombardi trophy and I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest negative of guys that grow up in the Patriot scheme and live their whole life there and that was my biggest negative with Josh McDaniels is he's only coached one year of his entire life outside of the Patriot scheme and so he's obviously probably going to come in and say 
yep, I know exactly how to do it. I'll do everything that Bill did. I'm going to set up the structure exactly like Bill had it in New England. Mm -hmm. And there's not any other New Englands. There's a lot of ways to do it. There's not only one way to get to the Lombardi Trophy. And so just thinking that you have to do everything exactly like Bill did it and set up the organization exactly that way is not the right way to do it. You've got to find and, and strike out your own balance of what your structure looks like, what's best for you as a head coach, what type of head coach you want to be. And that's not the same for everybody. Right. And so I think having a, a vast amount of experience is a good thing. So with that being said, yeah, Kevin has been in Minnesota his whole career, but he started under Brad Childress, who I played for in Cleveland for a year. Then he stayed under Leslie Frazier and under Mike Zimmer. So in order to keep your job in an organization when they bring in a new head coach, you've got to be really damn smart and really good at what you do and the people above you have really got to see a bright future for you because usually they're going to wipe everybody out of there and bring in their own people. Yep. The best offensive line coach that I ever played for is a guy named George Warhop, and he survived, I think, three regime changes in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. He was so good, and the, the coach would come in and see how smart and good he was as an offensive line coach that they've decided to keep him even though the scheme was different. They knew that he was going to be able to adapt because his core values were solid and he was really good and he understood football and to me that's what kevin stefanski is he sticks around under all these different regimes because his core values are solid and they can see that he's very versatile and he's not rigid with any one scheme he's going to look at all these different aspects and he's going to use a smart ivy league brain and he's going to figure out the best approach for the guys and the talent that he has yeah he's worked under brad childress who is an andy reed disciple so that's the 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 one team that doesn't run the Kyle Shanahan scheme that is in the uh, <laughs> AFC NFC Championship game right now. So he's got them all right now. He's got that, but he's also running the Kyle Shanahan Gary Kubiak scheme, and so he's going to bring a dynamic balance between the two best offensive schemes in the NFL right now. Is that Kubiak or is that Stefanski? Because Zimmer said Kubiak was the best thing to happen to this football team. And that could be yeah, just because his. Kubiak has the experience as a head coach, mm -hmm. as an offensive coordinator. He's been around the NFL a million years, and he's been in that offense a gazillion years. And so, first of all, we don't know if Kubiak's coming to Cleveland or not, but if he does, that'd be great. That'd but be if awesome, he doesn't, yeah. the amount of things that Stefanski's learned from working with Kubiak are innumerable. Yeah, I like that. It's a good word. That's an Ivy League word, Thank um, you. which is a good theme for this episode. Also, they're talking about Andrew Barry. Could be one of the guys coming back to run the football operations and and be the general manager, another Ivy League guy, who set up the situation where now help do that, which is, you know, to get all the top name players we have. So I'm I'm on board with that too, if that's the case. Um, so Stefanski is 37 years old, four three or four years younger than Josh McCown. Um, he's the head coach. Josh McCown is now in surgery, getting his torn hamstring repaired. And he still has to have a talk with his family of whether or not he's going to continue to play. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Hamstring R.I.P. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He's not going to play. Uh, I don't want to break any news for you, Josh. We haven't talked about it. But if uh, if you're in Vegas and there's an opportunity to place a bet on whether or not Josh McCown is coming back, I would bet on him not coming back with his hamstring still being in leaking financial field and him being in Charlotte already. All right, Hawk. One of the guys that reportedly might be coming to Cleveland to call the plays if Stefanski is not the play caller. Is a guy named Mike McDaniel mm -hmm. who's currently in San Francisco yep. with Kyle Shanahan. Drink. He's, I think, like the passing game coordinator or the run game coordinator or something like that out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I think that it would be important for the Tom of Flock and Browns fans everywhere if you maybe lean in a little bit in case that was one of the names that uh, actually gets put into that offensive coordinator role because you've got some experience working with them. Yeah, and, and I do have some experience. I haven't talked to Mike in a long time, but I, I was a big fan of what Mike um, did from an X's and O's standpoint. He, he truly you is. You had a, him in Cleveland. Yeah, we had him in Cleveland. He was a receiver coach there um, early on in his career. what, five years, five, six years ago now. But he he was a savant with the football stuff, man. I'm, I'm not even kidding. And, you know, I, I don't know if the 49ers let him out. You know, and he's been with Kyle Shanahan, I think, for 15 years. So there's not a lot of people who know that offense if we're talking about how it spreads around the league. There is nobody in the league that I would say knows that offense currently coaching better than Mike McDaniels. Maybe as good, mm. but nobody better, um, which is why he's been such an asset to, to Kyle. And Kyle is obviously the pioneer, I mean, for this generation of this offense and the way they've changed it and 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 structured the pass game to just revolutionize how the offense is run. But for Mike McDaniel, for I me, I like that word. I they were big words. Ivy League. This 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 episode is brought to you by the Ivy League. Um, speaking <laughs> of Ivy League, Mike McDaniel's a Yale graduate. He had like a fifteen eighty on his SAT out of sixteen hundred. This is the kind of brains that he has. So he went there as like a scrappy slot receiver, played football there, went into coaching. He was from Denver. I think he was a ball boy for Denver early on as well, which is how he got connected to the Shanahan's. But when I came in 14 to the Browns, and I'm a student of the game, like I told you, I would order Tory Holt um, infomercial DVDs to try to get better. This I studied it, right? To that point. What was the name of that? I, I forget. I remember I asked him. I sent you that video <laughs> yeah. about he owes you some money. Maybe big game. It was like Tory the essence of a great wide receiver was, or something like that. Yeah, it was something terrible. Train with big game, <laughs> Tory, Tory Holt. Um, yeah, so – I was a student of the game, and I'm not even kidding. From the time I've gone to college, um, outside of my freshman year in college, where I, I downloaded a lot of information just being there, then until the year I went to the Browns, I don't know if I got any new information from coaches, with the exception of Mark Tressman. Mark Tressman, when I went to Canada, taught me a lot about receiver that I didn't know. Um, everything else were things that I've heard before and were implemented, and, and people like, you know, you train you to say, you know, repetition and doing it on a consistent basis, but nothing new. When I got to Cleveland, Mike McDaniel changed everything I knew about receiver because um, he had a different way of thinking about it from from getting off the line of scrimmage to how you come out of your breaks to how you catch the football, like literally every single aspect. And I'm 28 years old. That's a that's pretty late in the game to change that. And I was skeptical. And he was like, yo, just trust me and watch what happens. And I trusted him and everybody trusted him. Um, in that receiver room, and everybody played big for that because he had a, he's such a smart guy, he can figure out how to look at the game different, which is why he's such a good run game coordinator for them. And again, some of that is a lot of that is Kyle, and a lot of that is Mike, but just that perspective of like seeing things differently, which is just tough in this day and age. So, from an X and O standpoint, I'm telling you, again, I, w- I would put him up against anybody in the league. Not just that, Mike is a talent evaluator. So I remember that year he was in charge of. He like, was the one that picked Johnny, didn't he? Yeah, he was. He picked Johnny. He picked Justin Gilbert in the first. Um, <laughs> no, he was in charge was of undrafted free agents that year. So that was his his task that he had to go with the undrafted Taylor free Gabriel. agents. We had Taylor Gabriel, who is one of the top receivers in Chicago. We had Willie Schneed as an undrafted free agent, top receiver in, um, in Baltimore. We had Kwan Williams who was a defensive back, again, the top nickel back in the NFL for the 49ers. Um, and he got Isaiah Crowell was a, a free wow. agent that year who, you know, 
played well, way beyond. So that's four undrafted free agents who are making upwards of five, six million dollars a year now. That doesn't happen, especially in one draft class. He is that kind of guy, and he understands, you know, what it takes and evaluating talent for that offense. Um, so yeah, if, if he is indeed the person, again, I stand on the table for him because I just know what he does from an X and O standpoint, um, and I, and I think that will bode well for the Cleveland Browns. All right, Joe, anything else on Stefanski before we get out of here? You feel good? Yeah, I feel good about it. I'm thinking about um, the potential candidates. And as I was just racking my brain in the last few days and talking to people and trying to reach out to as many players that have played for these guys, um, I thought that really the the finalists, everybody knows I like Dayball, but he didn't seem to be one of the finalists. Um, Sala liked him, talked to a lot of Cleveland fans were not. We're not with you on the day ball. Yeah, talk to a lot of the guys that uh, were in San Francisco. They really liked him. The big question mark on him was what are they going to do on offense? Like mm-hmm. He's been a defensive guy forever. Uh, who do they bring in to run the offense, which obviously is a huge part of it. So that was a big question mark. Stefanski was, okay, he's been in Minnesota 15 years, been through a lot of organizations. He's been through a lot of staffs, but he hasn't had the experience outside of Minnesota, mm-hmm. and he's only been a coordinator for a short amount of time, never a head coach. So that's an unknown right there. And then with McDaniels is he's been a head coach before, but he's only worked for somebody not named Bill Bill Belichick for one year in his career. And so does he have enough of a broad base of experiences to pull on when he becomes a head coach again, or is he just going to be the Bill Belichick clone? Now we know what he's going to say, but what he does is that going to be different. And so kind of looking through all those things, I came to the conclusion in my own head, like, all right, when you're picking a head coach, you're not trying to pick the guy that had the best offense that year because really being a head coach has nothing to do with how great your offense was in any one game or one season. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like finding the right scheme and coaching it is more about picking the right offensive coordinator yep. and the guys that are going to implement that. Like those assistant coaches, that's more important from like a hiring standpoint than actually physically doing your job uh, when you're an offensive coordinator and moving to a head coach. Um, so I'm thinking like, all right, when I'm trying to pick a head coach, I'm trying to pick somebody who's a good leader, somebody who can uh, bring the team together, who can motivate a lot of different personalities, who knows when to twist your arm and to put or when to put an arm around you to encourage you, uh-huh. um, who's smart, who's willing to listen, who's not rigid, but he can also be tough and he can hold players accountable. Like Those are all the things that I want. And so if I was picking it, I would want somebody who has the least amount of unknowns because unknowns are what leads to potentially making a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And so kind of working through all those guys, I came to the conclusion that Kevin Stefanski has the fewest amount of unknowns. Mm-hmm. And compared to those other guys, to me, he has the highest likelihood of coming into the Cleveland Browns and having success because I know the most about him. And there's the fewest question marks that lead me to wonder, will he be able to do this, especially after reaching out and talking to prominent players in the Vikings organization that have worked with him and said, yes, this guy is absolutely a leader of men. Not only is he a great scheme guy, but he'll be able to hire great staff because coaches throughout the league respect him. Mm -hmm. Players respect him. He's able to manage personalities. And after hearing all that, I said, you know what? Even before this hire, I said, if it was me, I would hire Kevin Stefanski. Here's what the Browns need to do. And you can quote me on this. Since we're still paying all the former head coaches, we bring them back. We fill them in as assistants for Stefanski. Hear me out. Hugh Jackson, receivers coach. 
boom. Manage those personalities. Players coach, he's perfect for Jarvis, perfect for Odell. Freddie Kitchens, your back is the running back coach. We liked what you did a couple years ago. We want that magic back, right? Who do we got next? We're going to bring Pat Shermer in to be the offensive coordinator. You know, he just got done with the Giants. He's going to be someone's OC this year. Might as well come back to Cleveland because we still owe you some checks. Mike Pedden coming back as the defensive coordinator. We've seen what the Green Bay defense is doing, right? When they sit that corner blitz down for the two-point conversion on Russell, the guy's smart. We bring Romeo Cornell back, linebacker coach. Now we're cooking with oil. You understand? Who am I missing, Joe? Chudzinski, right? Bring him in. I don't know. He can be the assistant, the quarterback coach. Did we get a quarterback coach yet? Boom. Chudzinski back in the building. Who else am I missing, Joe? What other head coaches did you play for? We got Romeo Cornell. I got Defensive Cornell. coordinator, Houston. I got Gordon him as the, the linebacker surprise coach. firing of the year was uh, – Bill O'Brien yeah, is the Houston Texans head coach. So Romeo might be looking for a job too. Exactly. You know what? Mangini. Mangini. No. Man genius. He could coach anything. He's yeah. coached everything in the NFL. No, we're going to make him the um, NFL security. That when we play the Patriots, <laughs> no one can spy on our stuff because he knows all the tricks of the trade. Counterterrorism. <laughs> tell- it'll turn the program around. Just oh, hear me out. That's all I'm saying, Joe. All right. So before we wrap, we got to get an update on the Tomahawk Show pick contest. Producer John, where are we at with it? Last week, as we discussed, Hawk was 3-0. and Joe was 0-4. <laughs> this week, Hawk 2-2. Two two. Joe, 3-1. Okay. Congratulations, right. Joe. Joe back in the game. How does that How does that fare as far as everybody's concerned? Uh, with three games left, Hawk is 5-3. and three. Joe is 3-5. and five. So, Joe, you're two games back of Hawk with three to play. In our Tomahawk picks contest, there's a seven-way tie for first. Uh, we have seven people with six wins. Shout out Kelly Strange, Wesley James, Darrell Thomas, Zach Abramchick, Corey Easterday, Brandon okay. Andrews, and my man Brian Lynch. Seven-way tie for first. Hawk, you're in second, which is technically eighth. Tied yep. with 15 other folks um, with three weeks left. Real quick, before we wrap, we're going to get a lot of bad Lamar Jackson takes this week. Yes, we didn't even talk about the bad I Lamar Jackson I want you guys takes. to predict. Let's Actually, let's turn this into a game. Let's call this, this will be a little improv exercise. Let's okay. call this Talking Head Theater. Okay. So give me an impression of the talking head who's going to give us the worst Lamar Jackson take of the week. All right. Let me get into character. I'm a method actor. See, that's the problem with Lamar Jackson. He can't win the big game because this is a passing league. In 100 years, the running quarterback has never won a Super Bowl. Why? Because in playoff football, you have to be able to throw the football down the field. And, you know, everyone who said that they were people were wrong for not drafting Lamar Jackson, they look like idiots now because what look what he does in the playoffs. Two playoff appearances, he has not done what he's supposed to do because you cannot win a football back game that way. You can still give me any of these other young quarterbacks for the duration because they are guys that can mature and throw down, throw down the field. It's, it's a matter of time for this Lamar Jackson experience ends. Joe, you want to play Talking Head Theater? No, nah, that was good. Yeah, that was pretty pretty yeah, spot on. I'll give you a B plus because you said National Football League, which all the idiot talking heads always do. You yep. gotta say National Football Advising League. Advising time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Elongate. In the, the point. National Football League. <laughs> I still think he could have gone a little bit more nuclear. Like you know, I'm not gonna name any of these guys by name, but you know somebody's just gonna say something like even more ridiculous. But yeah. I feel like you you even aired on the side of even being a little bit of yourself which is kind of like measured and smart somebody's just going to go off the rails off the rails of course because that's what that's the shock jock and people have been waiting people have been waiting for lamar to play bad yep and they haven't think about that there's been people all year waiting to give those takes but he hasn't given the opportunity because week in and week out 
he balled the F out, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is, he's going to win the MVP at 23 years old. And throw it in the trash afterwards, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the, the number one pick of next year is older than him. Right. And he's already two playoff appearances in back-to-back seasons. He's going to win the MVP. Peyton Manning didn't do that in his first couple years. No, he didn't, Peyton Manning didn't win a playoff game until his seventh year, I think. Yeah. Year, this, like I mean, mm. again, for... Let me be very clear. If you're out there saying because of that one game, and again, the kid is what twenty and three in his career, and in, in, and yes, he has a good defense. Yes, he has a good team. His team wasn't that great last year, so you don't give me the good team bullshit because it was the same team Joe Flacco had, and they had to bench him. And if they wouldn't have put him in, they wouldn't have made the playoffs, and their coach would have got fired. So that's not that's not the easy button for it. But even still. If you're one of the people that are writing him off in an MVP year, imagine writing off the league MVP at 23 years old. You're an idiot. Let me be very clear. This this is uh, one of the issues that smart people, and I say smart with quotations, uh, people especially on social media run into, is that if you have a bias, if you have a hatred for any player or any coach or anybody in the NFL, mm-hmm. all you have to do is wait. Because eventually there's going to be a bad game yep. or a bad play or a bad stretch where you can easily point to that and say, see, I told you, I knew it was going to happen because this is the best of the best. There is nobody who's infallible. Like people that are pissed off about Stefanski being hired as the Browns head coach because his offense didn't look very good the other day. You know what? They've been really good all season. He's got the most out of Kirk Cousins. He's got an offense rolling for most of the season with a couple receivers that at times didn't really love playing with Kirk Cousins, and he was able to mesh all those personalities. Mm -hmm. And he turned this into a really good, I think it was the eighth overall offense in the NFL, but because they didn't play well against a really good 49ers defense, everyone's ready to say, see, he's not much of a good offensive coordinator. He stinks. And if you're going to judge your opinions on somebody based on one game or even a little stretch in a game or a quarter or for Lamar Jackson, like he had some turnovers in the game and then that's proving now that he can't be a great quarterback in the NFL, you're just dumb and you just don't understand what being good in the NFL looks like. No idea. I mean, the guy rushed for 1,200 yards and threw for 33 touchdown passes in a season as a 23-year-old. Like I – like even, even Tom Brady and Peyton Manning at their peak, when everyone loved them, they had bad games. Like it just happens. Like sometimes you just have a bad day where somebody has your number, or you run into a defense that's just really good, and they're playing really good in that game. Yeah, and they get a couple small breaks in the game, and then it looks like it was a blowout. When really in the NFL, most games come down to three to five plays, and those three to five plays determine the score. And if the score in those three to five plays was a couple touchdowns, all of a sudden a 14-point victory may only have been a pretty even game except for a handful of big plays, and that's what we remember, and we think of it as a blowout when really, for the most part, it was pretty even. People were tweeting me, I give me Tannehill over Lamar Jackson. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. You, that wins. Awesome. You, you can have him. him. You win. It's all yours. <laughs> that's the worst take of the week. Yeah. That's an early leader in the club. Fine by me. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. Where do, where do we sign? Dude threw for 88 yards. <laughs> <laughs> Give me Tannehill over and 45 on one play. No offense to Tannehill. He's doing really well. I'm proud of him. I think he's doing a great job. Shout out to the Titans. Shout out to Variable. I feel like I loosely um, help their team get in the position they are. Maybe I'll reveal that next episode of how that happened. Uh, maybe not, but 
congratulations to the Titans of Tannehill. But again, don't give me. You can have Tannehill. I'll take Lamar. Thank you. Thank you, and I appreciate it. All right? All right, that is it for the Tomahawk Show. Joe, you have any final thoughts for me, man? Final thoughts is this is the first time that I can remember that in the AFC and NFC championship games, there is not clear teams that I despise that I can cheer against. <laughs> I'm watching these games next week, and I'm going, oh, I don't really care who wins. I like awesome. all these teams. And so I'm going to the Super Bowl in Miami, and I'll be sitting in the seats watching the football game. You're going the to the game? Time. Going to the game. And I'm excited because it doesn't matter who makes it. I'm going to have some very big time cheering interest because I've got wow. a lot of friends in the coaching staff and in the locker room on all of those teams. And I kind of like all of them, like forever and ever. The Patriots were always around and I hated the Patriots. <laughs> I hated Tom Brady. I hated Bill Belichick. I hated everything about him. Right. And so it was easy. I would turn the TV on. Oh, the Patriots are playing. I'm cheering hard for whoever was playing right. against them. Now, granted, it usually ended with my heart being broken, that. Uh, but it was great. It gave me a reason to care. And it's almost kind of a weird feeling now because I, I don't care who wins these games because I like both teams a lot on both sides. And so it kind of hurts it a little bit for me because I'm not as excited to go and cheer against somebody because hatred is the most passionate form of fandom. Yeah, I like and that's that. like good take the Monday national football game in college football, which I know everyone's forgotten about because it's like practically the spring game and we're playing the NCAA <laughs> championship game. Uh, but I was always enjoying when Alabama was in it because I hated Alabama. I hate Nick Saban. And I would love to cheer against them, but they're not there. So I kind of lose an interest a little bit. All right. I like it. What's your, what is your Super Bowl experience like? Did you buy tickets? Are you credentialed? Are you taking your wife? Are you? So way, way back in like August, I did a fundraiser for uh, Madison Charity. For your Super it Bowl was, tickets. Uh, NFL alumni. And did a GoFundMe for people to yeah, fund one you of, buying one Super of Bowl the, tickets. Yeah, one of the uh, silent auction items was two tickets to the Super Bowl. Mm. And being the big Browns fan that I am, knowing for sure the Browns are going to be in the Super Bowl yeah. this year, I thought, hey, I'll pick up my tickets right now, and then <laughs> I won't have any problem finding tickets when the Browns make the Super Bowl this year. Well, it turns out I was wrong, and the Browns <laughs> did not make the Super Bowl. But I'm going to be in Miami anyway because the Tomahawk Show, which is the most popular podcast right now in sports, yep, was kind of being bought. I don't even know what's happening, but basically NFL Network is saying we can't allow Tomahawk Show <laughs> to not be part of the NFL family any longer. So we're going to steal you for Radio Row Super Bowl week yep. because you guys always do the best Super Bowl shows. And so I'm going to be down there anyway with my guy Hawk and the whole Tomahawk family. And so I'm like, hey, if I'm down here enjoying South Beach, enjoying Gronk's pool parties, might as well go to the game. Yep, Gronk's pool party, party bus right to the game. I'm on a ticket website right now, guys. What do you think the cheapest seat in the house for a Super Bowl ticket is? Super right Bowl now? ticket, Miami with the Titans, Chiefs, 49ers, and Packers, probably. JLo and Shakira. $2,800. Joe? Uh, 3000 3,000. 3,500 is the cheapest ticket on here. It'll go down. Once everybody's team gets eliminated. It'll drop. Yep. Now, here's what happens. A huge spike. Then it'll go down. And then like two days or three days out, there'll be a huge spike because everybody gets down there that doesn't have tickets and is looking for tickets. And so there's that huge spike. But then everyone kind of gets tickets. And there's always more tickets available than like people that are willing to spend yep. a ridiculous amount of money. So if you go and wait like an hour or two before the game, You'll get you can get in for face value. For damn near face value. Yeah, like 12. I mean, yeah. 
Literally, he's not he's not kidding. You got to yeah. sell him That's how it at always the perfect works. time. And players aren't allowed to sell the Super Bowl tickets, so I don't have any experience with selling Super Bowl tickets. But if I was a person who sold my Super Bowl tickets as a player back in the day, you got to find the right time and do it when enough teams are in it where people feel really confident that their team is going. I would just say that. You taking Annie to Super Bowl, Joe? I am. We're very excited. Wow. We're going to have a weekend away from the kids. That's awesome. Uh, I have not been to a Miami Super Bowl, been to like 10 or 11 Super Bowl sites, all of them a lot of fun, but first time in Miami, I know everyone says it's the best location for yep. a Super Bowl, so I'm really looking forward this to it. This is my second Miami Super Bowl. Oh. I went when they I cannot wait until we dive into Super Bowl talk because that is like what launched the Tomahawk podcast yeah. in the first Super place. Bowl the great party. Super Bowl stories. All right. Super Bowl podcast. Yep, so I won't tease it now. All right, we'll be back on Thursday to preview the two conference championship games. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>